My name is John Ray. I am one of the elders here this morning. It is so incredible. I, I think we ought to just kind of sing a song and go home. We've had church already with, uh, with seeing that. But let's, let's do take a minute and quiet our hearts, bring our spirits, bring ourselves back present into this room, present to the Word of God, which will be spoken and read, present to the Holy Spirit who has brought each of us here today, who has gathered us, present to the Son, represented by the elements at the table, present to each other. Let's take a few breaths. Feel all the things that want to distract us, that want to keep us tied to the past or draw us too quickly into the future, fall away. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And we present ourselves to you, to your word, to your son. Father God, that you would lead us. Amen. Well, dobre utra. Hola. Jumbo. That's a howdy in Russian and in Spanish and in Swahili. Pretty impressive, huh? I mean, come on. Y'all didn't know I had that in me. You didn't know I was multilingual like that, did you? Yeah, yeah, it's not really that impressive. Um, actually, few things in my life have been more frustrating than my failed attempts at learning another language. I mean, I can fake my way in Spanish in certain contexts. I can put on a pretty good Russian accent. I can ask where the bathroom is in Turkish. But I really have never learned a language you see, like most Americans, I, I took Spanish class in high school, right? And it was crazy because all these English kids, all these English speakers would get together and we'd go and we'd learn the stuff and then we'd walk out of class and then we would speak English, <laughs> not Spanish. So I was exposed to the grammar, I was exposed to some vocabulary, but I, I never really learned it. And then, even as a missionary traveling to different places, most of the time, I was leading a team of other English speakers. And because we were there for a short time, we would have interpreters, we would have translators who would do the work of learning the language for us. And so while, again, I could pick up a phrase or two, I could speak it very little. And then even in my theological studies, studying Koine Greek and studying ancient Hebrew, there was no one really to speak about it with. There was no one really to, to practice the language with. And so while I can use interpretive tools and I can know how to use a lexicon and a dictionary, I, I really don't know the languages. It's been frustrating for me. And I haven't done the one thing that's really necessary to learn the language, which is to immerse myself in that culture. 
Those of you in here who are fluent, those of you in here who are practiced in the language, you know that that's how it works, right? Is you have to immerse yourself. You have to go to that place. You have to put yourself in that position, and you have to learn it as you're in it with that. Today, we're talking about community and worship. This is the second week of our exploration of discovering grace. What is it What does it mean to be part of Grace Church? Why do we practice our Christianity, our faith, the way that we do? Why do we do the things we do as a church? And we're talking today about discovering community and discovering worship. And the, the, the predominant image that I have when we talk about this is this idea of learning a language. You see, I think for most of us, we've learned church like we've learned high school Spanish. We've taken a few classes, we're familiar with the grammar, we can repeat a few phrases, we're familiar with the vocabulary, but but we come for an hour and we get a lecture, maybe have a worksheet or two, but then when we leave, we're speaking a different language. We've never really immersed ourselves into the work of the church, which is community. We've never really learned the language of what it means to be a follower of Jesus by practicing it, not just reading about it, not just picking up a few bits and pieces here and there. Community, this, when we talk about community at Grace, we're talking about that that group of people that come together that we immerse ourselves in and go through all that is necessary to really learn the language of community. And we're going to talk about why that is so important. And we're going to talk about the role that worship plays in in how we learn and integrate that, how we integrate it into ourselves and how we integrate it into our practice. This is important work, y'all. This is a very different way of thinking about church than at least that I was brought up with. And it's a very different way than I see practiced in many places. Not that we're better, not that we have it figured out by any means. But it is a different trajectory that we are on at Grace. And if we're going to understand who we are as Grace Church, we need to understand this. I came across another quote. Those of you who've been here know that we went through Revelation, a study of the book of Revelation this summer. And we used, one of the primary things we used was Eugene Peterson's um, commentary on it. And I read this, and I I thought it was very apropos to our study today. He said, the whole work of the world against the community of faith is to insinuate that the Christian life is nice in its way, but peripheral to the real world of human action. The conspiracy of the gang that runs Babylon is to eliminate contemplation from the life of the average person. So then unless something is illuminated by Klieg lights, no one will notice. 
Unless someone speaks into a battery of microphones, no one will listen. The devil's plot is to make Jesus so banal, make him into a pale Galilean who certainly must be taken seriously and quoted reverently whenever we take time out, as we should, to discuss ideas. The satanic strategy is to normalize Christians into homogenized Roman pudding of good citizens who really should try to get along with each other as best they can. When this work is successful, everyone becomes a Christian in such a way that it makes no difference. Increasingly, as we practice Christianity here at Grace, increasingly as I walk out my own faith, increasingly as I see faith as it is experienced in our culture, I understand that the gospel is communal in its nature. And we've talked about this before. If you've been here, you've you know that this is something we've talked about. How our tendency, our culture, tends to package everything for individual consumption. Try In our hyper-individualized society, it makes it all about you, your satisfaction, your salvation, your fulfillment. The primary telos, or end of the gospel, becomes some kind of individualistic, personalized, artisanal, shade-grown expression of faith. Community is peripheral. Community is secondary. Community is a nice add-on. And when we do experience community, it's always supposed to go well. We have this romanticized version, right, Cameron? This romanticized version that, hey, if we're really doing right, if, if we really love Jesus, then we're all going to get along perfectly. Nothing could be further from the truth. Well, let's look at the, the text. Let's look at this. John writes about what Jesus said. He said, my command is this. This is Jesus speaking. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Now this supersedes even the great commandment. Right? The great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. We would all assent, right? That's the great commandment. Yet Jesus one-ups it. He's always doing that. Jesus is always playing fast and loose with Scripture. You think he wrote it or something. But he one-ups it. He says, no, I'm telling you, love each other as I have loved you. We talked last week about how Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is supreme. He's the ultimate. He's our guide. He's our example. He's the one that we look to, that we follow, that we get covered in the dust as we follow that's why, we, that's why we emphasize that. That's why we have to study. It's we have to know how Jesus has loved us so we can know how to love each other with that. He goes on to say, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. 
This makes absolutely no sense apart from community. We cannot obey that command alone by ourselves. Do you ever you ever think about that? That Jesus has literally given us commands, God has literally given us commands that are impossible to fulfill by ourselves. That community is an essential, necessary part to obeying Jesus. We can't obey by ourselves because so many commands are relational in nature. They require giving and receiving, interacting with other people. And Jesus was just so overly generous. Jesus was was just so brimming over with this in his life. Constantly reconciling, bringing the outcast, the lost, the unclean, the leftover, the judged, the last, the least, the losers. Intentionally bringing them in. Not, I mean, yes, he was the Savior. Obviously, he was doing that. But he was doing that as a way of calling friends together. There's something that you'll see if you really pay attention in Scripture. I don't think Jesus ever saw another human being as an object of ministry. I don't think Jesus ever looked at someone and went, there's a poor person. I think what he did is he looked at someone and goes, well, there's John. There's Jane. I don't think he ever looked at anyone and went, oh, there's someone unclean who I can make well. I think he looked and he said, no, that's, that's Fred, that's Sue. Jesus didn't see people as objects of ministry. He saw people who were to be gathered into a family, into a community of friends, to join with him at his table in that. Listen, we, we talked last week about how church is not a means to our end. Church is not, we don't come to church for what we get out of it. Church is a means to God's end. Community is the same way. When we come to look at community as a means to our end, we're just, it's just another consumer product. It's just something else to be evaluated, graded, used, and then cast aside. Now, you want to talk about ruining community, that ruins it real quick when we do that. However, we also understand that community is the place where where needs get met. Community is the place where, that is necessary for us to be fulfilled. Community is necessary for us, for our growth. It is, but that can't be the end. That has to be a byproduct. That has to be the fruit of it. It cannot be the goal of it. Because what we saw even demonstrated here earlier 
as our, our family, our family came up that don't look like us, don't speak our language yet, right? And we're learning theirs. And we're all learning a different language together. Y'all, we need that desperately. We desperately need that. But it can't be about that. It can't just be about us. It can't be just another mode for us to become better people with that. Hopefully that will happen. But it's very different. There's this verse that we include in our Discovering Grace material, which I hope all of you are, are engaging in your study and your grace groups and your personal study. And the verse is from Psalm 133. It says, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. Yes and amen. It is beautiful when we dwell together in unity. But listen, that's a rare occasion. Now, let's just be real here, y'all. It's a rare occasion. Look, it's hard enough to get along with people that we choose to be friends with. It is difficult enough to get along well with someone that we sleep with. Anybody? Am I the only one? <laughs> and yet we're going to all come in here, college students and retired professors and Walmart salesmen and teachers, children, people from Arkansas and Texas and Tanzania, and we're just going to think we're all just going to get along? Y'all, that ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen without work, and it's not going to happen without grace, and it's not going to happen without understanding what community is about and why it's here. Because again, if we're just coming here for our own selves, if we're just coming here to get our own stroke, if we're just coming here to get our own needs met, one, it's not going to work, or if it does, it's going to be just so superficial. Why bother? Really, why bother? We had a meeting of leaders after church last Sunday, and uh, we're discussing some issues. Got a little hot. Got a little contentious. Different things. And in my spirit, I was just like, yes. Yes, this is good. Because you're not going to do any real work until you get to the real issues. Listen, we're not going to figure this out together. We're not going to do anything of substance. We're not really going to be transformed if we just stay on the surface. If we just all play nice. And as soon as my toe gets stepped on or I don't get my way or there's not enough salsa left at the end of the line, I'm out of here. It's just not going to happen. We're not going to have community if we do that. And so once we start to get to those places, it's not so much that we need to find an answer for everything. We just need to learn how to know how to fight. I mean, Jane and I, it took us, gosh, it took us 
three, four, five, I don't know, we're still learning. However many years, learn how to fight fair. We both can't. We, listen, I love this woman more than I love anybody else on the planet. And she makes me crazy. And I, and I don't know why she stayed with me for what I do. But I remember the first time I thought, oh, that's how you fight. Because up until that point, I would hold on to stuff, and then she would say things, and I would hold on to stuff, and she would say things, and finally she'd say the thing, and then finally I'd blow up. And then I would feel so guilty, because i just let her have it all, right? And then she's just shell-shocked. Where did this come from? All I was talking about was the dishes, right? And then... And then I would retreat, and then I'd try to come back, and I'd try to make it okay, but I really didn't address things. And then somehow, some, something happened where we were both locked in the same room, where I couldn't, I couldn't run off. And we, so we kept fighting. And we kept fighting. And then, then the, the fighting started to turn more to discussion. And then the discussion started to turn more to understanding. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I got. We had to. It took us years to learn how to fight. Church, we got to learn how to fight. We got to learn how to fight. We got to learn how to make up. We got to learn how to move forward. We got to learn how to how to how to work through deep issues because we are called to demonstrate the gospel. You see, the gospel. The gospel is not just some ticket to heaven that you get when you pray a certain prayer. The gospel is a promise of restored creation, of God's restored creation. The gospel is the promise that no matter where we've lived, what language we speak, where we've come from, that we can actually dwell together in unity. That we can actually get along. They, we can actually fight without killing each other. That we can learn how to get along. That we can demonstrate to the world that there is a place, there is a people where men and women, that's a big one, men and women, young and old, all different colors, all different nationalities, races, Economic income, political party, abilities, disabilities, where we can all get together and get along. When we demonstrate that, we demonstrate the gospel. When we demonstrate that, we demonstrate what it means to be followers, lovers, disciples of Jesus. When we can do that, we can do what the rest of the world can't, never has been able to, and never will be able to for any other reason. Science isn't going to do it. Education isn't going to do it. Another war is not going to do it. Another UN program is not going to do it. The gospel is going to do it. And it's the only thing that can do it. I'm reading a book right now, and just trying to educate myself on the, the genocide that happened in Rwanda. And as a, as a, as a guy who's always liked history, I'm, I'm trying to reconcile it with 
what happened in Cambodia and what happened in Stalin's Russia, what happened in Mao's China, what happened with the genocide of the Native Americans here in, in North America, how, how to reconcile it with the, the slave trade, how to reconcile it with the potato famines, how to reconcile it with the misery that is inflicted, that we have inflicted on each other throughout history. Listen, you want to know where all this ends up without God? You want to know where all this ends up without community? Gulags? Gas chambers? Killing fields? That's where it ends. People, me, apart from the gospel, are at war. It's our natural state. I'm at war with myself. I'm at war with you. We're at war with each other. And we will kill each other until nobody's left. And that's why the gospel expressed in community the hope of the world. That's why we have to get community right because that's what proves the gospel is real. Not some apologetic tract, not some powerful sermon, but us together in community is what does it. That's our message. That's our witness. That's our testimony is that it's not perfect, but it can happen. And we believe it can happen, and we're willing to sacrifice for it to happen. We're willing to sacrifice for it to happen. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, there's a lot. And we obviously, look, you know, we, you, y'all know we can't talk about all this in one Sunday, right? That's why we do the class periodically. That's why we come together. And this is, what, in a way, this is what we're always talking about at church. But one of the ways we do this is worship. One of the ways that we get together, one of the ways that we make this thing happen is our worship. Is that we learn the language together. It's like like worship is the grammar of this language of being a Jesus follower. It's the structure it's the thing we practice. It's the, way, it's the way we learn to communicate. It's the way we learn to take in information with it. And so we come, and, and I, love, I love what's happened the, the few times, right, that we've been able to sing the, sing the same song in English and in Swahili, right? Is that the practice of worship, the practice of coming together, of praying, of taking communion, of baptizing, of dedicating, of marriage, the practice of coming together to study Scripture, to listen to the Word being preached. Those acts of worship are what are teaching us this language. And just like any other language, we have to practice it. You have to practice it. It's never, I got this, it's good, let's move on to something else. It is a lifelong practice of learning this language. So at Grace Church, we, pre- we place a tremendous amount of importance on our worship. Not just singing songs, 
Because some of us think, right, I went, I sang songs, I worship. Well, that's part of it. But the giving of offerings. Listen, we need money to keep the lights on. We need money to pay our bills. We need money to pay our staff. You need to give a lot more than we need that. I need to give a lot more than that. The reason why we give, the reason why we give offerings here is not just to pay the bills. That's, that's an overflow. It's because giving is worship. Giving is an act of worship. Just like coming and taking communion from this table, your offering is an act of worship. Just like singing a song. We practice these things so that that language becomes our native tongue. Because that's what we want. That's our goal. We worship, we practice these worship practices so that the language of the kingdom of heaven becomes our native tongue with that. Look, there's, there's three ways we can do this. There's three ways we can achieve unity. We can make this group smaller and smaller. We can just start cutting people. <laughs> we can start culling the herd, right? Uh, well, that person doesn't believe exactly like I do on the theosity issue. They need to go. Wait, we're going we're gonna to make... Our theology, we're gonna just going to write pages and pages of doctrine. And if you don't line up, well, there's the door. Or we can make it all about how we like to do things here. Hey, look, we better start, you know, exactly 10 minutes past when we say we're going to start. <laughs> Alex, never, never do more than two songs, and we better have a banjo in at least one of them. And one of them needs to be a hymn. And John better not go more than 25 minutes. We'll give Norma 30. She's better. We can only give John 25. <laughs> right? We can, we can just narrow it down to, to so, so when our preferences, you know, our, our wants are so reflected in the group that we all, I mean, we can order for each other at, at lunch without, without even looking at a menu because we know each other so well, right? We can get unity that way. Or we can just say, hey, you know what? Whatever you believe, whoever you want to be, however you want to do, doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter. We're just, we're just all, everybody's welcome. And we're not going to challenge anything from anybody, right? You just come when you want, that's fine. Give what you, that's fine. Study what you want, that's fine. You can just do whatever. We can get unity that way. Just no expectations on anybody. I mean, that's the way the world does it. It's the way the world achieves it. It's, hey, we're going to narrow it down. Make sure you look like us, think like us, act like us, smell like us, spin like us, like our stuff. <clears throat> we'll get unity that way. Or, hey, we'll just get unity because we're not going to ask anybody, anything of anybody. Just who's server. And church is a very different thing. We're going to get this unity by the power of the Holy Spirit, by submitting ourselves to one another, by emphasizing community and learning the language of worship, learning the language of the kingdom of heaven, by making Jesus first, by submitting ourselves to scripture, submitting ourselves to one another, 
practicing worship together, practicing love, live, serve as we go out with that. But y'all, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. <clears throat> and this is usually in the part of the Discovering Grace class where people are want to leave. <laughs> because I can't offer you, I, I'm, I, the only thing I promise you is it's going to be hard. It might be easy, it might be good, it might be fun at some point, but I can promise you it will be work. You will get your toes stepped on, you will get your feelings hurt. You will be asked to do things you do not want to do, you don't feel qualified or gifted to do, but if you don't do it, it's not going to be done. In some ways, church is a constant discipline in not getting your way. You're going to be asked to love, not just like, not just hang out with, but to love people that you don't like. Don't look like you, smell like you, act like you, speak your same language. You're going to be asked to love them. Y'all, we don't, we don't do that. Who, who does that? Really, I mean, who does that? Why would you do that other than that's what we see Jesus do? That's what Jesus does. That's what he's always done, and that's what he's doing right now, is loving other people in spite of. Not because of who they are, not because of what it gives him, but because that's who Jesus is. It's going to take work. I remember when I was in my missionary training, I had this friend, Johan. I'll tell you two stories. We'll get out of here. My, my friend, Johan, he was from Norway. And I came in one time, and he, was just, he had his head laid up against a bunk bed. And he had this pained look on his face. I was like, brother, what's wrong? He just goes, he said, in Trajan Hanny, you probably know this. He, he, said, he said, my head just hurts so bad from having to think in English. And if you've learned a language, you know, you right? I mean, it can literally give you a physical headache trying to think in that language. The other thing is um, we were in a market in Turkey, and we lived there when our family lived there for a summer, and uh, we were warned that there are certain English words that we use that are curse words in Turkish. And so we were real concerned with our kids, right? We didn't want our kids going around saying, because they're common words. We didn't want our kids saying these words and inadvertently offending someone, right? And so we thought we had it. And then my wife, Jane, you know, is walking through the market, and she's pointing out all the peaches in the market. She's like, look at those peaches. Look at those peaches. I heard some big peaches there. (laughs) And the fruit sellers are... Well, peaches was one of the words that you were not supposed to say that has a very different meaning in Turkish than it does in English. Y'all, we're going to do that. Our heads are going to hurt from learning this language. It's going to be frustrating. We're going to just want to go back to speaking our native language of war, selfishness, consumerism, individualism. And then as we learn it, We're going to use words in the wrong way. We're going to offend each other. 
we're going to be meaning one thing and the other person's going to be hearing something else. Or they're going to be something to me and I'm going to be hearing something else that offends me. But it, it's really just, because we're just, we're still learning the language with that. Well, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to, we're going to practice some of this language now by taking communion. Yes. So, yes, we're going to do one of those songs in Swahili. This is awesome. Y'all, this table... This table is one of the primary places where we learn what it means to love like Jesus and what it means to be in community. On that last night that Jesus was with his disciples, he gathered them. He didn't give them more instruction on doctrine. He said, I want you to do this thing to remember me. And he took the bread and he lifted it up and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do take this, eat this. He did this at a table where he served him. Where the head who is normally used to being served instead himself served others. And on that same night, he took the cup and he said this cup is my blood poured out the sign of a new covenant take and drink and so every time we gather together and practice this language of taking and eating taking and drinking we proclaim the mystery of Christ crucified Christ risen Christ coming again we're learning a new language we're experiencing a new reality we are proclaiming the death, the resurrection, the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world dying without that gospel. So let's come together this morning, Grace Church. Take these things, worship through giving, worship through receiving, worship through singing, worship through praying, and practice being grace.